I'm Lucy and I'm a first year doing Communications and Media Art International Studies. Today we're reading Romans 5.18, which is on the inside of your little leaf. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Now, the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that, as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin, that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died in sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptised in Christ Jesus were baptised in his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism in death, into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin, once for all. For the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let sin therefore, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will, not, will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. Thanks, Lucy, for reading uh, the Bible for us. And it's good to see you guys uh, back here. I know you're all glad to be back here after the break week. We've missed uni so much. Yeah. Oh, it's terrific. And it's been a really productive week for you, no doubt, hasn't it? You've got all of the work done, caught up on everything. So you're feeling pretty happy. Or maybe not. But you can put all that aside for a bit because we're going to have a look at this part of God's Word. We're picking up from where we left off last time, which was Romans 5, and we're now into Romans 6. If you've not been with us and you're just visiting us for the first time, uh, you've joined us in the middle of uh, a book of the Bible that's written by one of Jesus' followers uh, called Paul, uh, Paul the Apostle. That is, somebody who's, uh, who's sent by Jesus to speak of Jesus and his message. It's a fairly, um, fairly complicated little book at one level when you first read it. Uh, but my hope is that by the end of today, not that you just have unraveled some of the complications, but whether you know stacks or whether you know nothing at all, you'll actually see the importance of who Jesus is and the difference that his death makes. I think some of you might be surprised. But because uh, here at Uni Bible Group, we do hold that the Bible is God's word, you don't have to believe that to come along, uh, but because we do believe that, it's only right to ask God for his help 
understanding. So I'm going to ask God for that now. Lord, we thank you for your word that you've given us this day. As we set aside this time to read it, to explore it, we pray that you might speak to us. Help me to be able to explain it clearly. We pray that we might be able to respond appropriately. And in Jesus' name we ask this. Amen. Well, who rules you? It's the question that you've got at the top of your outline there. Who rules you? It's a stupid question to ask most Australians or anyone in, who lives in a free Western democracy. Who rules you? Well, no one rules me. Uh, I have ruled me if anyone rules me. Or if we're cheeky uh, and playful, we might want to say, my wife rules me. She's the ruler. Uh, my wife is here, so I won't sort of press on that any further. <laughs> or it might be, my mum rules me. But we laugh because it's partly true, but we also laugh because we know it's not actually really true. Um, we live in a free democracy. We're, we're free from the coercion of ruling monarchs or lords who enslave us from a, some distant past era that our forebears perhaps once lived under. But that's a truth that is only skin deep and superficial. There is a deeper reality behind the facade that is our free democracy that comes through in these chapters of Romans 5 and 6. And it comes through in Paul's answer to this question that is raised from his argument of, about sin and grace. It's that first question under the big number six there, chapter six, verse one. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Now I'll come to explain what, what's behind this question, where it comes from. But it's a question of faulty logic that flows from the last bit of chapter 5, which is why I've included it on the outline for you, even though we're not really dealing with the end part of chapter 5 from that sort of verse 18 following. Uh, I'll summarise what we saw in chapter 5. Paul was talking about Adam uh, and Jesus. Two people. Two people. Adam and Jesus. And they have two events that are connected to them. Adam's rebellion and Jesus' act of righteousness, Jesus' death, which is an act of righteousness. So what chapter 5 was trying to explain was that when Adam, the first man, sinned, it was an act of rebellion against God. And what it did, and I use the illustration of trench warfare, it set up Adam, he sort of digs a trench over and against God. He meant to dwell with God in the garden, but in this sin, Adam sets up this trench warfare against God, a trench of rebellion. And he has children, and they die. He dies, and then they die, and before they die, they have children. And it's a realm of death over and against God. That's the picture of history. That's the Bible's understanding of humanity, such that we are all born into rebellion against God. You don't realise it at first, you, you, but you grow up and then you realise, actually, I don't want anything to do with God. That's because you're born into 
sin. And we actually show that we want to be there because we actually happily participate in sin. We happily say, well, I don't want God to be God. That's because we're in Adam in this, this trench of rebellion, which Paul gives the name sin and death. And so, Jesus was like Adam in chapter 5, in that he did one defining action. They both did a defining action. Adam gave this defining action of sin that led to rebellion, that led to death for all. Jesus, one act of dying, his, his act of righteousness, overflows to righteousness for many. So they're like each other in that they both do one action, which flows over to many. But the two actions are so different because the outcomes are so different. Adam's one action brings death to everybody, whereas Jesus' one action brings righteousness and life. And so, chapter 5, verse 20, which leads into chapter 6, Now the law came to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So sin was always outclassed and outmaneuvered by grace. Wherever sin happened... Grace came and counted it over and more, over and outgunned sin, more than sin could get its own way. That's how powerful the grace that follows from Jesus' death is. You can hear the question then rumbling around at the beginning of verse six, chapter 6. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? I mean, surely if sin means that grace abounds, we could sin more. And there's more grace. Cool. How cool would that be? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may abound? It's a stupid question. It's <laughs> a stupid question. Paul's answer is, by no means. It's a very weak sort of way of translating. You can't over... Translate them. You can't tra- translate them too strongly. Um, perhaps you could translate it with some emojis. Um, <laughs> like a, you know, a sigh and a shake of the head, like, no, 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 no. Um, five no's always seems to capture it. No, 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 no. Because the question itself makes it sound like grace and sin are like friendly rivals, like Federer and Nadal where one brings out the best in the other. And so, you know, yeah, it's this rivalry that happens. No. No, 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 no. No, no, I think that was seven. (laughs) Or um, another illustration, at home with my friends. Uh, I had friends over at home going into into Dad's shed. And I'd, um, you know, hand them one of the spanners from my father's collection especially the ones that had stamped on them the, the, the brand Unbreakable. I'd love to try that. What do you do with a young kid if you hand something that says Unbreakable? You know what they try and do. <laughs> you try and break it. And of course, it doesn't matter what you do, it doesn't break. It's like, cool, they're cool. <laughs> yeah, for a 
10-year-old kid, that's great. Uh, it's unbreakable. Because that's what grace is like. You know, you can't break it, so let's try it with sin. No, it doesn't break. And it's like, no, 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 no. That is stupid. You do not understand what's actually happening here. It's no friendly rivalry. It's no test of strength. This is true war of life and death. It's a stupid question. Verse 2, by no means... How can we who died to sin still live in it? The actual reality that we don't see, that we don't perceive, is that there are two realms in this world. And Paul has been exposing this reality of two dominions, two realms or two kingdoms. The one that Adam made in his rebellion called sin and death. The, rebel, the, the, the realm of sin and death. And the one that Jesus made called righteousness and life. Now, you have to sort of grasp this, especially if you've learned the Bible over a long period of time. It's not like there are two kingdoms. That's not Paul's argument. It's a bit like to, there are two kingdoms. The, the reality of this world, of reality, stripped back the veneer of what we see, is that it's actually two kingdoms at work. There's the realm of sin and death. There's the realm of righteousness and life. That's true. We don't live in... It's not democracy. Yes, we do live in a, in a democracy, and it's great. But that's, that's just a veneer, a political veneer. It's a good one. But the reality is that there's two dominions. And it's the language that Paul uses all the way through. In fact, you can compare two translations uh, of verse 2 and it helps see what's happening. So that the NIV says, um, verse 1, sorry, shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? Shall we go on sinning? Doesn't quite capture it. The ESV does a little bit better to the original. Are we to continue in sin? It's not so much the are we to are we to keep doing sins? Though Paul's going to get to that. That's not what he means here. Are we to continue in the realm of sin? It's a location question. Where do you live? It's not so much a what do you do, though we'll get to that, but where do you live? What people do you belong to, if you were here with us last time? Who, are, who is your people? In the realm of sin or somewhere else? The fundamental problem is not the doing of sins, but the residency that we have, what, where we live. And so, verse, jump down to verse 6. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin, within sin, might be brought to nothing. Uh, or down in verse 9, the language of dominion. Uh, we know that Christ has been raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. Verse 12, let not sin, sin therefore reign in your mortal body. Down in verse 14, for, in, for sin will have no dominion over you. See, sin is a, is a realm and a dominion that we live in, that we're born into. 
But the person who is right with God has been resettled. I used the illustration again with that last week, last time with that trench, where what Jesus does in his act of righteousness is like God sends a troop carrier through the line, through the across the line of rebellion into the trench and and is rescuing people from death to say, get on board, get on board. In his death and resurrection, he provides a way to be able to deal with sin and death. Get on board and he's going to take them across, take us across to, to life with God. We've been resettled. And you see that in places like, pick it up with Colossians 1. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So it's about being transferred from one domain to the other. And the terms Paul uses here of all this dominion language, the way he argues out this truth, is to get us to remember our death. It's point two there when we're outlined. Remember you died. So verse 3. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptised into Christ were baptised into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. Okay. Now, some of you have never read this before at all, and you have no idea what he's talking about. Some of you have read this a million times and have no idea what he's talking about. <laughs> Why don't you... Cool your ignorance with each other. And what do you think Paul's actually saying here? Uh, and see if you can have a wrestle with it before I tell you what I think. Maybe say good to the person next to you, maybe meet them for the first time, make a new friend for life. And uh, what's Paul mean in this, these verses, three and four? That's a great question. Let's call it there. I won't, I won't get you to share your, your answers. Um, I was going to say, you know, I don't want you to show your ignorance, perhaps, um, in getting it wrong, but actually you might get the right answer. Um, but let me give you the right answer uh, instead. <coughs> no, the right answer, of course, uh, just because of the side, is not because of what I say is true. Um, you go and work this out for yourself. Uh, this is God's word. There's no person here who has the authority of God. Um, we want you to be wrestling with God's word for yourself, uh, as always. So, um, <coughs> take this away and keep thinking about it. But the idea of baptism is if Paul's not arguing for necessarily water baptism, where you put water onto someone and they are baptised. He's not arguing for that. He's probably picking up that the way people have come into um, following Jesus is they are baptised, they identify with Christ, they, they, they claim that they're following Jesus and you know, water is put on them. He's not arguing for that, but what he's saying is that if you've been included in Christ, and everybody who would have been a Christian there probably been baptised with water, if, if you're actually in Christ, well, you're actually baptised into his death. That is, you've been included into his death. You've been united with him fully, totally with him. And 
it's a little bit like the image of the truth carrier. You've been, you've, you've jumped on board. Whatever Jesus, who's driving the thing, does now is what happens to you. You're secured with him in his death. Well, you were there, united in his death. You too died. You too were buried. <coughs> when he was buried, you were buried. But this event of Jesus' death in about 333 AD that we are included in is a different sort of death. His death was death with a purpose. So verse 4, we were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. And Paul here is exploring our death with Christ. Exploring our death with Christ. What is this death like? Because notice that we're united in a in a death like his. See, death under the realm of sin, where humanity was born into and died, was a death of futility. It was pointless. Life lived, disconnected from God, died. Useless, futile. The death of judgment. God's judgment upon humanity, separated from him, upon all who live under sin. But verse 6, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. See, our body under the realm of sin was a dangerous and destructive thing. Ephesians 2, verse 1. His great voice it is. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. That's the picture of humanity in the realm of sin. It's actually We're actually quite active, but all of our actions are bringing destruction. It's not really living, it's very active. There's lots of walking, there's lots of following, uh, there's lots of doing, carrying out the desires, but it's not really living. I've invented a new word. It's more like deathing. <coughs> we, we're deathing. When we live in the realm of sin and going about what we do, it's, it's deathing. It's actually it's digging a deeper trench of rebellion. Everything we do, whether it's aiming to be good or bad or or friendly, or fun, or, or aggressive. It's, it's just done in rebellion. It's, it just brings about 
death. But our death with Christ crucifies the old self so that the body under sin might be brought to nothing, neutralised, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. His death is a cutting ties with death type of death. Cutting the chains of slavery, death. Back in Romans chapter 3, the argument was that Jesus' death was a sin-bearing death. He died for sin. He died to deal with sin. But here, it is a death which cuts ties to the realm of sin. Verse 10, For the death he died, he died to sin. Over and against sin. It's burning the bridges with the realm of sin. Making refugees out of those who've been cut off from the realm of sin. And being resettled in life. So come back to verse 5. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. So, we need to understand our new life in Christ. Jesus' death and our death cuts us off from sin so that we might have a new life, to live in, a, in the new land, the new realm, in order that we might be raised with Christ to walk in newness of Christ. And so Paul's actual purpose in these chapters is twofold. There's two sides of the one coin. It's first of all to give assurance for those who trust in Christ. The assurance in verse 5, let me read it again for you. For if we've been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. The costly effort that God has gone to to send Jesus to die, to rescue, to cut us off from the realm of sin and resettle us, if he's gone to that great cost, you can be sure he's just he's not going to cut you off just to let you loose. He's cutting you off to resettle you in a new realm, a new realm of life. So be sure that that's what God has done for you. The flip side of that coin is have nothing to do with sin. You've been disconnected from it, cut off from it. So, what is his resurrection like? Resurrection like this life? Well, let's look at verse 10. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. It's a life towards God type of life. Not deathing in sin, but living in righteousness towards God. In God's realm. Also, it's permanent. Verse 9. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. And so, while we remain attached to Christ, we will never die too. As long as he doesn't die, we don't die. Our life is assured by his life. Like when you, I don't know if you actually do do this, I hope you don't. We go skydiving, in tandem skydiving. 
you attach yourself, first time you do it, you attach yourself or get attached to the instructor, don't you? At least you hope you do. <laughs> you don't get a parachute. But whatever happens to you, once you're attached, whatever the, the instructor does, that's what happens to you. If he jumps out of the plane, you are jumping out of the plane. <laughs> if the parachute goes off, his parachute, it's yours too. If his doesn't go off, he loses his life. And you probably do too. <laughs> his safety is your safety. His life is your life. It's exactly like that with Jesus. We have one who has defeated death and cut us off from sin and death. We're cut off from sin and death. His life is an indestructible life. Our life is indestructible while we're attached to him. Remain in Christ. Your life is permanent and permanently with God. Also, sin does therefore not belong. Verse 11. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. See, your death was the second best thing that ever happened to you. The first best thing that ever happened to you was to be given life. But it's a type of life. It's in the realm of life where sin just does not belong. It doesn't fit. No longer deathing in the realm of death, but living righteously in the realm of life. And so Jesus' death and resurre resurrection was not something that he just did for us, though that is true. Rather, it's something he did to us. He changed where we live, is what Paul is saying here. He's changed our allegiances. He's changed who rules. So, who rules? is not actually a stupid question. You might have felt like it was a stupid question. Who rules you? Nobody really. It's not a stupid question. If you are in Christ, you are under the rule of Christ. If you are not, you are under the rule of death. If you're in Christ, let not sin rule, point three, and down to verse 12. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from the realm of death to the realm of life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law but under grace. Paul talks about not letting sin reign in your mortal body. Um, I think he uses the term mortal body to distinguish from the old self, the, the, the body of sin, or the body under the realm of sin. That old self was sort of like cut off and sort of left behind. But we still carry this mortal body, this sort of bag of bones <coughs> that we, we carry around that we sort of deal with. Don't let sin reign in, the, in this mortal body. You're no longer in the dead body where you just reacted impulsively to whatever you wanted to do. What do I want to do? Well, 
let's do this. Where do I want to go in life? Here. What do I want to eat? I'll eat that. What do I want to... Where we just are reactive to whatever desires come along our way. In Christ, we've been placed in a position of reigning with Christ. Ruling. Ruling and taking control of life. Ruling responsibly in life. So you were born into Adam and grew up in Adam where sin reigned over you in rebellion against God. But in Christ, you've died to that country and you've been reborn into God's land in Christ. And by definition, sin does not belong there. So don't let it reign. Act aggressively against it. Friends, it is not a game. It's the reality. If you've been transferred out of darkness, out of the realm of darkness, do not let sin reign. It does not belong in you. You do not belong in it. Don't let it get hold of your mortal body, your, your members, to do with it what it wants to do. Take control and reign in life. Reign like you have got uh, a rule which you do have in Christ. Don't give way to sin. Sometimes you feel powerless with sin, don't you? Sometimes you don't even try to fight against it. And then afterwards think, well, that wasn't so good. Don't let sin reign. The way I like to picture it, well, it's been helpful for me to picture it over years, if I've dealt with besetting sins, is to just realise what's actually really happening here. It's not just me deciding to do something or not do something. It's actually a war that's happening of righteousness versus death, the realm of righteousness where I live, over and against the realm of death. And as though the whole sort of, if you like, the, the universe is watching in, the, 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 the rulers of darkness watching in and saying, I think we've got him. I think we've got him. And you know what? I just don't want to give him the satisfaction of winning, let alone that they're doing the right thing. But I don't want to be the one who's the bunny, who loses, and they go, yeah, buddy. I don't want to give that satisfaction to the world. It's all subtle sort of seduction that the world has in all its different forms. I want to be, I don't know, I'm not fault for that. I know they're trying, I'm not fault for that. Don't let sin reign. Don't let it have its way with you. Realise the war that actually really is happening between these two realms. And live like you should be under the reign of Christ. Don't be deceived. We don't live in a free democracy where we just sort of flip between grace and sin as we like. Don't be deceived. Don't be ruled by sin. If you're not following Christ, realise that you actually do live under sin and death and the judgment of God against that. But here in this passage, in these chapters, what Paul is saying, 
The good news is that God's made a way for you to be out of that, to cut ties with that. If you know that you're not following Jesus, please take the opportunity today to say, I want to live righteously with Jesus as my ruler. Please do that. Come talk with me or any of the others that have been up front and know how you can do that. But if you are a follower of Jesus, be done with sin. I'm going to pray that the Lord might help us with this. Lord, thank you that Christ has rescued us from the realm of sin and secured us to live in the realm of life. Give us the strength we have in Christ through him to say no to sin and live for righteousness. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We have him in prayer. Hello, I'm Eve. Um, I have the privilege of praying on our behalf today. So prayer is simply talking to God and putting out questions. Um, dear Heavenly Father, we pray for our Christian brothers and sisters at the Federation University in Ballarat. Thank you that there have been so many discussions, conversations, speakers, prayer and fellowship as part of the series titled The God I Don't Believe In, which has just concluded. We pray that the discussion will not stop there and it will continue when these individuals are followed up. We pray for the members of the CU at the Federation University that may be feeling stressed leading up to the exam period of semester. We pray that they will have sufficient rest in your love and power and they will be able to persevere in their studies while also finding time for you during this busy time. We also pray for their annual general meeting that is coming up later this month. By your guidance, may the nominations and voting process go well to ensure a strong committee for next year. Thank you for all the faculty socials that happened within our Uni Bible Group over the past few weeks. Thank you for the wonderful fellowship opportunities between you members, especially especially between you or irregular members that came along. Thank you for the mid-semester break we just had. Thank you for the rest we have received and we pray that we will be able to ease back into uni smoothly to finish up our last few weeks. As Giving Week approaches, we pray that we will be wise and generous with the financial gifts you have given us and that we will use them to continue to support your work as we wait for Jesus' return. On a larger scale, we pray for the unreached people group in Sudan. The Masiri people group have no current Christians and Islam is the dominant religion. So we pray for the Christian workers in this difficult environment and for stability and peace in this region. We pray that there will be a strong movement of whole families being brought towards Jesus and that whole communities will have a rich experience of your blessings. Thank you that we are able to come before you and speak to you and thank you that you always hear us. Amen. Amen.